0: Hey guys, this is Beth and this is Jeff and this is your Enneagram coach, the podcast where we're here to help you to understand yourself with astonishing clarity so that you can break free from self-condemnation, fear and shame by knowing and experiencing the unconditional love, forgiveness and freedom in Christ.
1: Well, friends, thanks so much for joining us for this uh, next episode of the Your Enneagram Coach podcast. And as many of you are aware of, something that we hold very dear is that we're not just teaching about the Enneagram itself, but we're teaching it through the lens of the gospel. And over the years, there have been um, many voices who have spoken into that and uh, have shaped how Beth and I understand the daily engagement of Jesus Christ by His Spirit in our lives, but recognizing the foundation of how He relates to us is the promises that we have in the good news of His life, death, and resurrection. And that is not just a salvific um, idea. Uh, We don't just believe the gospel once and then we're off, as Jerry Bridges used to say, off on discipleship where you get into disciplines, but rather as Tim Keller has said, that the, the gospel is the A to Z. It's everything, mm. and it's at the core of the Christian life. And as it relates to the Enneagram, the, the Enneagram is powerless in and of itself. Um, we use a phrase in the recovery world that discovery is not recovery, or observation is not transformation. And just because I can name that I'm a type six and that I battle with this self-doubt and anxious thinking about approaching life and seeking security, the Enneagram does not resolve that for me. But I do find that the Spirit of God's work in my life does resolve some of these issues. And it touches on my life now with a future hope that there's going to be an ultimate fulfillment when Christ returns, where this sixth heart is finally going to come to rest. Why? Because we we are with God in the garden. We are with God in the city um, in the end. So one of the voices that we have greatly appreciated from, he was actually uh, uh, introduced to me from a friend, Travis Stewart, who by chance, was also the guy who introduced Beth and I to the Enneagram, (laughs) has also introduced us to John. But we have a great guest, uh, John Lynch, with us, um, who is an author, has served as a pastor in the past as well, and has just created some fantastic resources that have helped us to understand how to apply the gospel in a unique way. And one of the things that we'd like to discuss uh, with John today is um, one of the books that I had read a few years ago and then picked up again recently after Travis had mentioned it to me again was uh, his book On My Worst Day, which are – it's – pretty much, it's autobiographical, but with God intervening. Mm-hmm. And, and I'm not, we'll have to ask John about what he feels like writing on behalf of God. I'm sure that's a privilege uh, <laughs> that not many of us enjoy. But, um, but I will say, I was so intrigued by it as an example of what it means, a model for how we can apply the gospel to our particular style of relating to the world through the lens of our Enneagram yeah. type. So, John, thank you so much uh, for joining us. Uh, we are so delighted to have you with us. So tell us a little bit about yourself, what you do, your platform, as well as your family. Yeah.
2: yeah. Thank you, guys. What a privilege uh, to get to see you and talk with you. I've listened to enough uh, on podcasts on bike rides and with Stacy, my wife. So I feel like I know you guys. Mm, that's great. Um, yeah. Well, I, I have three, three children. Uh, Caleb is the pastor of Open Door Fellowship, where I used to be the pastor. Is that oh, wow. crazy or what? So, <laughs> That's amazing. And he's, that is crazy. And, and he's killing it. He is absolutely, I don't know, mm-hmm. I know he grew up in my home, but I don't know what happened to him. He's, <laughs> he's all of a sudden wise, and he cares about the staff, and he, he's just a, a delight. And then Amy is my second daughter, and she... She knows how to love me like nobody, Mm -hmm. just incredibly. And she's uh, over on the west side of town. So two of our three kids are here, and they're both married. And then my third is Carly, and she's out in Santa Clara University as the diversity pastor at a Mm -hmm. Catholic university. So I'm just delighted. I'm married to Stacy. We've been married for Thirty-seven years, I'm going to say, and and I, I believe it. I'm going to say thirty-seven, and uh-huh. we we live in here, here in Phoenix, and I pastored for 35 years and uh, at Open Door, and at the same time was working with a group uh, called True Face, and mm-hmm. we were developing materials to talk about what are the practical implications of living out of who Christ says we are. How does how does trust work into that? How does how does that free me? How does that so, so to hear you guys um, affirming this gospel has has been a great gift to me and mm-hmm. a great delight. And uh, so so now uh, about a year and a half ago, we we just changed up True Face, got a new CEO, he's in Atlanta. And we became more, uh, Trueface became more about writing curriculum. And I'm a, mm. I'm a B minus curriculum writer. I, I started John Lynch Speaks, which I just love. It allows mm-hmm. me to write and from my vantage point and then speak all over the world. And, uh, so on my worst day, I revamped that and added 40 stories to it. And it really is. Uh, you you said it well, an autobiographical timeline of my life, imagining what Jesus might have been saying all along, even when Mm -hmm. I was young, even when I was fighting him, when I resented the thought of his name, all the way to now to where Mm -hmm. I cherish him with all my heart. And I know his love for me. So it's been a beautiful journey. I came late to Jesus, about 27 years old from a Mensa atheist family. So it it has been an an amazing ride to believe how in the world did I get here? So thanks for asking that, you guys.
1: Oh, that's awesome. Well, we're so delighted that you decided to join us. And uh, before we get in, we also want to say welcome uh, Adam Breckenridge, uh, the YEC Director of Coaching. Adam, welcome. Uh, so glad you get to join us. You know, the audience has been hearing from you throughout the summer as you're onboarding with the team. And you've been such a gift to us. So uh, thanks for joining us today.
3: Oh, yeah. Thank you so much for having me. John, it's great to meet you, too. Just love love being on this with you. Thank
1: you Adam. You know, Adam as it relates to the idea of the gospel being applied to our Enneagram types, you've been using uh, this in pastoral counseling. You know, how have you found a Christ-centered approach to the Enneagram so much more powerful than just the Enneagram by itself?
3: Yeah, so you're right. You know, I've been using the Enneagram as a tool for spiritual formation. Uh, counseling, care, preaching, teaching, all that for um, several years now. And uh, where I have found it to be, I mean, just a profound difference in using the Enneagram without the gospel. I can't imagine using the Enneagram without the power of the gospel because the Enneagram is is showing, I feel pretty bad about myself, you know? Yeah. It's
0: revealing everything.
1: You know, they, they talk about the, (laughs) in theology proper, the three uses of the law, you know, one is to uh, restrain sin. The other one is to, um, give a direction for what holiness looks like. And the third one is it reveals our need for Jesus. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, it, it, it in the Enneagram in some way, Beth calls it a non-judgmental friend, but I I don't <laughs> like friends like that. <laughs>
0: yeah. Just tell me yeah. what's wrong with me. <laughs> it just says it. I mean, of course it reveals, you know, when we're healthy and aligned with the gospel, but naturally we kind of gravitate towards the misaligned, less healthy aspects. And so And then, then, okay, so I see the healthy aspects, even even when I just see it, like, how am I supposed to get there? You know, we've all tried to become better, but without the work of the gospel in our lives, without the work of the Holy Spirit, it's not going to happen. So then we keep faltering and failing and et cetera, et cetera. And man, it can be so depressing without the truth of the gospel. We'll be back after a quick break. Moms, it's here. Registration is open for Enneagram for Moms cohort. Yes, from May 6th to May 13th, you can grab your spot to be in one of the cohorts with moms of the same Enneagram type, plus with a certified Enneagram coach leading the way. Wouldn't that be the most amazing thing to be with like-minded moms who really understand what it's like to be on your journey as a mom from your type? Yes, it will feel so validating, reassuring, affirming, encouraging. You don't have to mom alone anymore. Go to yournegramcoach.com forward slash cohorts to grab your spot today because there's only 25 spots available for each cohort. Now we have a cohort for all nine types in the daytime and one in the evening, but when the spots are filled up, they're gone. So grab your spot today at your forward slash cohorts. The groups start the week of June 10th and go until the week of July 29th. There are 90 minute sessions and there's eight of them. Plus you'll get a free Facebook group community where you can continue the conversation with one another. Join today.
3: And John, you know, John, you talk about this in your book. You talk about on, on page 87 in that awakening section, how willpower can never defeat or resolve the sins that entangle me. When, sure. you re- mm-hmm. when you remove the truth of the gospel and the power of the gospel from the Enneagram, you're left, guess what you're left with? You're left with willpower. And, sure. and and willpower has a finite supply to it. It's like it's like my iPhone battery. Like it, it's good. <laughs> it starts strong. You know, my willpower, I'm pretty good until about 10.30 a.m. You know what I mean? And it's like... <laughs> I, now how do you I'm, get to
2: 10.30? How do you do that? <laughs> sure. yeah. I'm, I'm
1: deep into being the 6 by 8 a.m. Mm-hmm. I mean, I... <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah.
3: yeah, no, you're, yeah, you're absolutely right. It's just about 10.30, I'm hangry. Um, yeah. I got interrupted. My day's been interrupted several times already by stuff. And it's just... Um, and so, yeah, when you take when you, t- the way we talk about the Enneagram, you know, with at your Enneagram coach and the way we've talked about it in pastoral ministry is it's, it's, uh, it's, it's like a flashlight where the, where the Holy spirit can, can use this, this tool to shine a light in your soul on some things where, Hey, let's look at this. This is a place in your soul that remains untouched and unaffected by Jesus. And maybe, maybe you didn't even know it was there because, mm-hmm. because it's a blind spot, right? Beth, we talk about this. there's, yeah. there's there's, there's a lack of awareness here and you can't change what you're not aware of. And you yeah. can't, you can't. So I think that Enneagram integrated with the gospel, um, that's, that's why it's so powerful and such an effective tool.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, uh, the first thing I want to start off with John, and and I've pulled this from the introduction, uh, from on my worst day. And because it, it captures something that I think The Enneagram Highlights. Um, And I remember for Beth, when she found the Enneagram, she realized it is growth taking place. There were common pitfalls that she Mm -hmm. would fall into and continues to fall into. Mm -hmm. Um, But you had this amazing phrase. I mean, I stopped reading for a moment, Mm -hmm. like, where am I at? But from the introduction, you said this, the first part of my life I spent trying to make myself lovable so I would be loved. The second part of my life, I spent trying to make myself worthy of the love I have found. The third part of my life, I spent trying to convince myself the love I had found was enough. Yeah. And the fourth part of my life, I'm actually beginning to experience the life of love has given me. Yeah. And John, talk about that and your experience of the Father's love given to us in Jesus, now experienced by His Spirit. But it just seems like, man, it is... It is a lifetime mm-hmm. of learning. Yeah. This is not yeah. a one-time immediate thing.
0: And John, if you feel you know comfortable enough to even, so like kind of unpack what Jeff said, and then if you can unpack it a little bit from your perspective of being a type four, that would be great. Yeah,
2: yeah. Well, as a type four, I, 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 I was thinking about my, my core fears, my core desires, my core weaknesses, my core longings. And and early on, I everything was about performing to get your love. And uh, so, so I, I strive to be unique, and I lived in the dread that I wasn't enough or I was too much. Mm-hmm. And I lived in fear of rejection and self-loathing and alienation for feeling so different. And that has... That didn't stop just because I came to Jesus. But then when at age 27, when I did trust Jesus, um, he entered and made, he said, John, I made you uniquely and uncom- uh, uncommonly valuable and needed. That, that I was unique, that I was enough, that he chose me to be here at this time on this planet. Because he said, there's some people that you are going to uniquely be able to love and protect. And they're going to be able to love and protect you. So he chose this personality for me. And then, and then for this four, he just loved me just because. And he didn't love me more when I succeeded. And... Uh, He didn't love me because of my talents or my gifts, and he didn't love me less when I failed. And then I discovered that um, he, he didn't just like me. He did this astonishing. and I didn't know this at first. Honestly, I went to seminary. I never put it together. I went to a great seminary, but Christ in me, Jesus Christ in me, wow. The fact that when I put my hope in him, in that moment, I became a new creature who has has the very life of Jesus. Uh, I'm fused with him. I can't tell where he starts off and I lead, uh, lead up. And that, to depend upon that reality of not the old bad John, that guy's gone. I still have tastes. I still like blue. I still like Volkswagens. I still like pie, but all those things are still there, but I have a brand new wiring system. Mm-hmm. And and that is changing the voice in my head. Mm-hmm. That voice that used to say, well, 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 funny boy. Yeah, that was a nice <laughs> message today. You really had them, didn't you? <laughs> oh boy, that was great. Yes. Hey, yeah. you know, the only person that didn't get taken in me. Mm -hmm. And I'm on to you, and I'm going to to expose you. I'm going to out you. That's the voice I'd hear after I preach. For maybe the first three years of my ministry at at Open Door. And I'd preach with all the confidence of Jesus, but I didn't believe it. I I Mm -hmm. thought God was disappointed with me, disgusted with me, and that I hadn't changed enough in a certain time. And so slowly that voice has changed to where I now believe, and I and I I said it to you before, in Matthew eleven twenty nine, Jesus, in the only place in Scripture, says what he's like. He he says, I'm gentle, yes. and I'm kind. Wow. Mm-hmm. How, yeah. And and so I I in this book I kind of tried to say if. I can believe how he sees me now and then extrapolate and predict how he saw me then. Mm. If he sees me now in kindness and gentleness, and he adores me on my worst day, and he's never disgusted with me, he's never angry with me, he's never put out by me, are you kidding me? Well, the voice changes inside my head. That voice now says, I got you, kid. I'm Mm. crazy about you. I'm not not disgusted with you. And I got this. I got you, kid. Mm. And now I hear his voice. Now I can extrapolate back and imagine, what was he thinking? Plus, he's got a sense of humor. What's he thinking along the way when I'm failing or I'm not wanting him or all that journey where I get into such a mess with my life uh, before I come to him?
1: Yeah. You know, John. It, it, I think for anyone who's understood their enneagram type, you know, there are those memories that we have. Where you know, for for me to put it in Adam's terms, when I was at my sixiness, <laughs> and it, <laughs> I, I, it is astounding to think of how my own internal parts, whether it's a critic or the worrier or the doubtful. How they interpret those experiences yeah. versus imagining what I know to be true in the scriptures about Jesus' kindness, his yeah. infinite, eternal, and unchangeable being and character, love, mercy towards me is a radically different interpretation. Mm-hmm. Um, absolutely.
2: It, absolutely. It's not, it is not the majority report, it is still the minority report to see Jesus that way. Right. And yet, that that is how he is with us.
0: Well, and that's how like I, you said how he described himself.
2: That's right. I, I, I it it was astonishing to me. It, it, there are certain verses that seems like God's promising too much. You know, Romans eight twenty eight. If I cause all things to work together for you, go. Come on, how about some? Don't don't put yourself mm-hmm. on the limb. And this is another one like that in in Galatians where he says. Paul says, "I and he's, he's astonished that he believes this, but I've been crucified with Christ. Mm-hmm. And, and it's no longer the old me that lives, but Christ lives in me. And the life that I now live, I live by faith, not by striving, not by trying, not by bluffing, not by putting my best, best foot forward, not by uh, moralism, not by g- presenting myself enough but by trusting who he says I am, trusting on my worst day, by trusting who he says he is, and resting in that. And that's, mm-hmm. that is astonishing that that's mm-hmm. all he asks. He says, so many people are teaching, you got to love Jesus enough. Lord, you got to love Jesus enough. And I think Jesus is saying, hey, um, you know what? Thank you. Thank you. Tip of the hat. Really appreciate it. But would you let me love you? Mm-hmm. Oh, that's yeah. that's what I that's what I'm after. Right. I I know you're working hard at trying to love me, and don't think I haven't noticed. It's very nice, but I want you to receive my love. Right. That's that that changes everything to be able to receive His love.
0: Um, as you know, we kind of like narrow in just on that subject with the um the enneagram for each of the types for me yeah. focusing in on the core longing is yes. so important because
2: yes
0: it's as if there's this part of us that has been holding on to a desire believing that something or someone on earth can give it to us enough that we'll finally arrive. We'll finally be satisfied. We'll finally have all that we've longed for. And that's like Jeremiah 2.13. We have turned away from the spring of living water and we've dug these cisterns, broken cisterns or wells or vases that cannot hold water. And yet we keep trying. We keep trying and we keep digging. And yet if we would just turn to Jesus Christ... He is that spring. He is the one that satisfies. It's free. It's flowing. It's fresh. It's always there. And when I think about each of the types and what you were saying is we all strive in our own way. The ones are striving to be right. The twos are striving to be nurturing. The threes are striving to be successful. The fours are striving to be unique. The fives are striving to be knowledgeable. The sixes are striving to be faithful. The sevens are striving to be adventurous or enthusiastic, reframing. The eights to be protective and to plow a path for others. And as nines are striving to bring peace and harmony. And yet, as we continue striving, and none of those things are in and of themselves bad, but if we're trying to do it in our own strength, our own willpower, those are the broken cisterns. Yeah. And we, get, we keep trying and we're always going to be dissatisfied because it cannot provide. But if we will just turn to the one who provides, like you said, it changes the whole narrative in our mm-hmm. mind, our heart, our whole being to go, so like for said? me, I long to hear my presence matters. There's no other way for anyone to ever say it, to a complete form than what Jesus Christ did. He left his throne, was born yeah. in a stinky manger, lived a perfect yeah. life on earth where it's extremely hard. He was both God and man, went through all of that, was beaten, betrayed, uh, died, and then rose again, all to bring me back into relationship with him. Are you kidding me? Like yeah. How, yeah. that, when I had that full understanding, and it was during a very dark season, early in my 20s, it was like a a weight was lifted, my eyes were open, my heart was free, you know, and I was able to move towards him in a whole new way. And each personality type has a core longing that they so desperately need to be satisfied. And yet he's already done it and continues to do it in and through our life.
2: As you describe those nine, those are beautiful statements. They're mm-hmm. beautiful, not just longings, they're how I've been created. And right. with, even within that number, he's uniquely working with wings and all along every mm-hmm. single, but then he makes it specific with my personality and my, my voice and my experience and my family and whatever. If I can trust this Jesus, And live out of who I am. For me, I I was always trying to prove by some talent, some skill. When I was young, I wanted to be like the like the Beatles, only bigger. You know, just (laughs) what I imagined of greatness, because I knew then that I would be okay, that I Mm -hmm. would arrive, that I would be loved, I would be, and it was never enough, no matter what Mm -hmm. I did. The right. other day, we were watching the Friends reunion. Uh, Stacy and I, I'm not proud to admit don't, that, but don't I did. But in it, Stacy said, John, would you like something like I always thought you could have done some ensemble thing like that on TV. And, and I said, Honey, for the first time in my life, no, that no longer interests me. I mm. really am where I want to be, and I delight in it. And I, I went, who said those words? It is, it is a beautiful place for me as a four now to get to contribute in, in my gifting, in my drama, in my acting out, in my storytelling, and all those things. It's a beautiful gift, the way a four was designed, or, or the way each of these numbers were designed. Once I've trusted the love of God and let him love me, and I've received his love and said, he's enough. He's the only one who's ever been enough. He's the mm. only one who loves me enough, who thinks about me enough, who's seen me down the road. He's the only one who's gone down the road and looks back at me and and, and smiles and says, uh, you're going to like chapter 17. It's very <laughs> nice. <laughs> uh,
3: Beth, you and John have both hit on this, but that passage in Galatians is where as as both of you are saying, he makes God's love. What I love about that passage is he makes God's love specific. Mm-hmm. So it gets us into what some theologians would talk about—the doctrine of God's particular love. So yes. I don't know about you guys, but it's easy for me to talk about God's general love, like for God yeah. so God's God so the loved the
2: world. Yeah, right. just a world. bunch of big blob mass of humanity. Yeah, mm-hmm.
3: yeah. And so that's all. That's all left brain knowledge. Oh, I'm sure, I know God's. I know the. I know what God's loving as a fact. He's, that, right. That's a fact that he loves. But, it, but then Paul makes it experiential. You know, what is it? Was it Jonathan Edwards who talks about there's a difference between the, the man who knows that honey is sweet because he's read about it and he's been told. Then there's the guy that knows that honey is sweet because he's tasted it. Hmm. And Paul, Paul actually says in that passage, Jesus Christ loves me and gave himself up for me. And he makes yeah. it particular Mm. And I just love that because, you know, I think that, you know, I, I, I can see how you have spelled out this journey, you know, the f- four parts of your life. And I'm I'm not where you are. I have the same spirit of the risen Christ, but I'm not I'm not as far along on the journey. And one of my biggest struggles is honestly, sometimes my shame or my own fear of abandonment won't allow me, doesn't want to allow me to say that, that yeah. Christ loves me and gave himself up for me but it's true and and it's that kind of kindness that really does change the narrative.
2: Yeah not that a powerful statement oh Adam what you said is so so good. I I was just meeting with a group of pastors in a, in a local church and he says when i say we're actually righteous actually holy adored by god uniquely he says that can't be true just stop it don't because you don't know what i do. You don't know the stuff that i do. There's never a time when we have out the cross and the resurrection. There's oh, never yes. a time. So to be able to say, I question your taste, <laughs> well, and you would do this with me, but I won't question your character. You really did choose to love me uniquely and specifically and make your abode in me. I, are you kidding me? Right. And that's... I think that what makes when I that, that passage where Jesus says <laughs> to the exact extent that my father loves me. And then he turns around and says, so also, I love you. Mm. What? What? Because shame constantly is uh, is trying to convince me that there's always been something unfixable about my very person. And and, and that that unfixable person is the most real me. Let's just admit that. And then shame tries to convince me that my past failures will and should always define me. And shame has tried to convince me that I have always only been loved because of what I have to offer. Hmm. And so that's what the gospel comes in and says, John, none of that defines you. This new person defines you. And you can risk to trust it. You can mm-hmm. risk all of our numbers. All they're, they're so beautiful to identify and see and now see the positive of them and say, you mean you put me on this earth and you're not ashamed and you're not disgusted mm-hmm. and you do see all the things that go on? He says, yeah, I really do. I have that horrible um, ability to see the things you're going to fail at in the future. <laughs> but... <laughs> but I love you and that will never change. I've seen everything and I still say I adore you.
0: Yeah. Mm-hmm.
1: Well, in speaking of shame, there was a, a, a theme that I started to pick up that, I mean, I, I think it's true and particularly apl- applicable to each Enneagram type and it's related to issues around shame and self-contempt. Mm-hmm. Uh, we all carry a deep seated message of contempt. Matter of fact, I recently had a conversation with the author John Acuff, who wrote a book called Soundtracks. And the idea of these, it's these false messages, this head trash that we play in our heads and interpret our experience through. Um, and contempt ends up sabotaging not only ourselves, but our relationship with Jesus and our relationship with others. And I want to read a, a few quotes from the book. This is, comes from an, an and this is so fun what i another thing that I loved about your book is there are these uh phrases that you would put in parentheses through it, and it would talk about awakening and we We will never stop awakening to the magnitude of christ's love and it it is it's not a done deal. You're, you're not, it's Amen. going to keep happening, and your well, experiences. you're going to find Jesus in a new way. And although we wish there was a different way uh, than suffering and sadness and sorrow, but man, uh, he, is, he is gentle and lowly at heart. He intends to meet us in these places. But on page 62, you said, Rejection can tempt me to spend the rest of my life proving I'm worth loving, but it will never convince me. I mean, that is so profound. This, and, and here's another one. This was just uh, self-talk that was happening on your head. This was on page 75. Yeah. You said, yeah. what's wrong with you? Who, I mean, you can even hear it how I'm reading it now because yeah. that's how I talk to myself mm-hmm. um, with that kind of tone. Uh, uh, who are you? What are you going to do now? It's the 13th and you don't get any more money until the start of the month. How are you going to explain this back home? Why do you do this? Oh man! I mean, I don't think of a single enneagram type who's like, "Why do I do this?" Mm-hmm. Matter of fact, you haven't found your type if you haven't said that about your type. <laughs> um, you you want to be another number,
2: and are That's you sick? So good. Mm-hmm.
1: I, the last one here is on page ninety-three. Of course, I and this is Jesus speaking. I knew you'd screw this up. God does all the work of. Oh, I'm sorry. This is you speaking, not Jesus speaking. I I, I knew you'd screw this up. God goes does all the work bringing me to him. And now I've got him disappointed. I do this to everyone. They all eventually leave. It's who I am. Damn question. See, now I'm swearing. (laughs) (laughs) So playful. But I mean, I mean that, that is the kind of statement of a child of God playing in the presence of his father, of a kind, safe father. Um, yes. To be able to speak to these things, I mean, honestly, John. I mean, I—it's almost like a contemporary Book of Psalms. Mm-hmm. Um, as you write these different stories and then have these interpreted interpretations of it, but why don't you talk to us a little bit more about self contempt yeah. and shame? Yeah. I love that idea that it can. I—I'll spend the rest of my life trying to prove I'm worthy of love, but my contempt and shame will never convince me.
2: That's right. That's right. Um, Boy, the stories that you're bringing up, one was when Arlene, my girlfriend, broke up with me. Uh, One of them was right here. I was in seminary and I was I was messing up and it's what led me on that road to uh, self-effort of of trying to find something because I felt like I disappointed it and too many times. And now I was a class B citizen and it's like his arms were folded and he, my sin was between us and he was shaking his head saying, man, I had so much hope for this kid, Mm. but he has let me down so many times and yes, he'll get to heaven, but there will be no padding on the armchair in his chair. Uh, So just get that clear. And I love him, but I don't like him. And and Mm -hmm. that's, the thought that was there that's what shame tries to do and I don't know I don't know a theologian who can tell me where it started I know it' started in the garden, but it gets exacerbated in my experiences and shame says there is something uniquely disgustingly, irreparably wrong with who you are, and no mm-hmm. matter what you do, it will never change. that's how. Powerful the language of self-loathing is mm-hmm. now. Now here we come in. This is so beautiful. Uh, I wrote the book because I, I wanted it to not be the language of, um, of uh, a unique idiosyncrasy, but it's normative. This is the way we yeah. should get to talk with each other. Like. We make this statement somewhere in one of our books, I think, uh, Bose Cafe maybe. We make the statement, all of us are awakening to the pain of realizing I can't control my world the way I thought I could. And I'm stuck with unresolved issues whose symptoms I'm trying to fix all by myself. And then we made the statement because it is God's gift through other Enneagram numbers, To protect me, he says, What if there was a place in a relationship with someone you trusted who could speak from a different way? What if there was someone, what if there was a place so safe that the worst of me could be known and I would discover that I would be loved more, not less, in the telling of it? Mm -hmm. Ooh, doggies. (laughs) what, What if that was true? that we could find some places where I I could get out that language. I could say, I feel like this today. Uh, In fact, we even talk about in in that uh, cycle of sin, when you just can't seem to get out of it, and uh, you think, okay, I'm going to fight it, and then you give up on it, and you give yourself permission, explicit permission, And then we try to fight it. Well, Now you're trying to fight the actual sin that you've already given yourself permission to do. And the only thing that breaks that cycle, God makes you. The the way I break the cycle is by telling to someone I trust, telling the sin that I'm intending to do. So powerful. So Mm -hmm. beautiful for us. And so, so this is a way... God starts to use each of us in each of our numbers to find each other, to be able to be trusted, to get behind the wire. See, I have all these things that I think, but if nobody ever gets back there with me, they, they become a permission system for me to fail. Uh, oh. one, of, one of them is, um, God, I think uh, this sin is bigger than you. And you can't mm-hmm. handle it, God. I think this sin is more pleasurable than you, uh, God. Um, I don't particularly think that you've taken care of me like you've taken care of yes. boom. And they are all just permission systems, self entitlement systems. Now that I I go into every situation with, until Galatians six two, bear each other's burdens. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Until another person, maybe with another number that can come in in a different way than I can hear, until another person comes into my experience and says, I got you. And, I, and, and is so trusted that I actually will break the machinery and tell them, here's what I'm intending to do. Here's the wrong that I'm intending to do. And to not have that person throw you under the bus or lose your seat at the table. Oh, if we could have those. Mm-hmm. What? Uh, as I hear each week you guys processing these, I go, wait, that number could speak to me. I could trust such a person and in their strength, in their core longing, what they're about, they could speak into John Lynch.
1: Mm-hmm. You know, I think that's one of the things that we, experience, we, we observe happening whenever uh, couples are learning about the Enneagram together. They yes. actually see one another as for one another and have greater oh. levels of empathy oh. and compassion. Like, I didn't know that you struggled in that way or that you believed that kind of thought about yourself. Mm-hmm. And we're it, actually so drawn to one another. And it
0: well, we what we would show on stage is instead of it being a couple that is speaking in like face to face, like at one mm-hmm. another, it's as if we turn and we're shoulder to shoulder and we're facing life together because yeah. now yes. we understand one another and we're for one another moving forward, and it's that empathy that compassionate understanding that heals. And it's the spurring one another on to love and good deeds and to bring the gospel to bear to one another from the language, our spouse, our friend, our parent, our coworker needs to hear, not what necessarily we need to hear, but like you're saying, Adam, making it particular to how God created them.
1: Yeah. I mean, I, I, I love the idea of, you know, what we've disliked about the, Popularity of the enneagram is how it can be used in such a trivial way and be used to stereotype people and to put people in a box
3: or and,
0: to use it to harm. That's right. Yeah. Yeah.
1: And yeah. As a weapon. versus, yeah. I mean, this is this is and, and Beth and I have always felt this way about the enneagram. Like you're dealing with, you've just revealed your soul, mm-hmm. but it. You thought you were taking the Myers Briggs, but you come out with, <laughs> oh man. My heart just Ouch. got, <laughs> got yeah. exposed. Yeah. Like right. Yeah. That and yeah. both. Okay, uh, someone understands me. I feel seen, yeah. yes. and then there's also this hope of who I can become.
2: Absolutely.
1: Uh, Self contempt. This it, it get it gets in the way of these things, and so I mean, even Beth and I recently um, were talking. She goes, "Do you, Do you believe me to be this kind of person?"
2: No, and that's
1: so good. I, I, yeah. And it was a very vulnerable question because it but it wasn't so much a statement that i hadn't said those things or proven that i love her and cherish her and believe great things about her but it was really a self-contemptuous thought yep. of i i don't know if i believe this about myself and i'm wondering if you
2: agree with me or not mm-hmm. so good mm-hmm. and and she's she's asking would you let me in mm-hmm. do, do do you believe that i have even though i may not have all the thoughts downright. Do you trust my motive so that I can protect you, so that yeah. I, can, I can get behind that line and hear the language of your self-loathing and be used by God in affirmation, that beautiful gift of affirmation, the language of love, to be able to tell you truth and to have it penetrate uh, it right into that self-loathing. I, if you don't mind, give me a couple minutes to tell a story of uh, uh, my wife of how she's yeah, she's a she's great. a seven. Stacy is a seven. She is again <laughs> when you when you open up and look at a picture of it. There's Stacy. <laughs> ones. Sevens were
1: the first ones that I remember hearing the um, the language. Uh, I'm a seven with a seven wing. <laughs> <Like
0: it. laughs> like they, they took the market oh, on that. Like we well, a seven. Great. We all
1: know this is a seven. Oh.
2: <laughs> so yeah. so so I. I loved Stacey, but did not expect what she did for me one day. I was—we had just finished the book *The Cure*, which is really an important book that we did. But but we were just at the eleventh hour, and we had a bunch of indifferent readers, uh, so that they could tell us the honest truth. You know, non-believers, believers—they read it and said, "Okay, this is going on." So we sat down around as a staff and and read these five by sevens, and I'm taking notes on my computer and one of the after some really helpful cards one of the people says i really liked the uh, information in this book uh, what i didn't like was how it was written it was terrible the characters the storyline it was whoever did that part needs to go to writing school and then promise that he will never write again I, well that's that's that person is me I, i'm the one who did the the stories, created the characters, uh, and and immediately shame just came over me in embarrassment, and I I, I politely tried to get through the rest of the staff meeting, and then I went to my office, and I sat in there, and self-loathing started. Oh, you always do this. This is what you do. You ruin things. That's that's exactly what you do. Thank you so much. You're going to ruin True Face now. You're going to ruin, you're going to provide, this book's going to be horrible. It's not going to be printable. It's just like back in sixth grade when you did And I'm going through this whole spooling up of my shame. And a phone call comes in, and it's Stacy. And I pick it up, and she says, uh, hey, how you doing? Uh, Just wanted to know when you're coming home for dinner. And I said, you You know, uh (laughs) Who? Yeah. And she said, you don't sound good. And I said, no, no, I'm you know, we're just taking it. Where, uh, and she said, what's wrong? Now, up to that moment. Now, how, how old am I? Am I in my 40s? We'd been married for decades. I had never let Stacy in to the broken places in my heart. I just was afraid that she would agree with the assessment and want to go away. I just never let her. And that day, I think she had been earning trust for so long. And that day, for whatever reason, I said, oh, honey, I got hurt. I really got hurt. This guy just attacked my writing. And and he said that I should never write again. And he said, I feel like I'm going to ruin things. And she let me say it. And then, of course, she stays. She's a seven. So she first said, well, I always said you were a better speaker than a writer. And, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, thank you. Excuse me. I'm going to go find a bridge. You know, um, <laughs> and, but then, then wow. she said, she said, knowing this was her moment, she said, you know what? That guy just doesn't know who you are. He doesn't know that all these truths you've lived out with your family as well as anyone I know. And I've seen this book, and I know what this book is going to do, and it's going to be a great gift to many. And she said, because she knows, she knows me, and she said, now come home. And when you come home, um, I'll have the twinkle lights up in the backyard on the patio, and I'll have a glass of your favorite wine or non-alcoholic beverage, whichever you're comfortable <laughs> with. And I will have the fire <laughs> going, and I'll have your favorite meal. And when you come to the door, I... I will kiss you like a rabbit on shore leave. Mm-hmm. And I did. I came home. I was shaky. I was freaked out. See, what happens, especially when a four gets embarrassed, somebody's going to get hurt. Because mm. I, I can only take it so long. And then I, it can't be my fault again. I can't be wrong again. And so usually I'll take it out on Stacy or the kids or the elders meeting yes. or whatever. But on that day, I was shaking. Stacy did all those things. She kissed me like a rabbit on shore leave. We had the meal. We had twinkle lights. And um, in my fragileness, the only thing I want to say that was so beautiful, nobody got hurt. Mm-hmm. And in that sacred, when God uses another to protect me. I, I think it broke something in my historical line. Yeah. and now mm-hmm. now I get to listen to people. I get to let them take me off uh, out of out of the spin and bring me home. and and that was a seven who who really is just going, I don't want to go down this road. this is a <laughs> lot of work. this guy's a yeah. lot of work right now. but <laughs> be, because of her love, even a seven, could be that to me, isn't that isn't yeah. that profound?
1: That's yeah. well, I mean, it, it speaks to one. I the the vision of the sevens that the there's a stereotype that goes with sevens that they're the adventurers, the Peter Pan types, but the really wise and mature sevens bring that kind of energy to people suffering, and they can sit with That's people good. to bring life and joy uh, to That's profoundly so sorrowful situations. Yes. Um, but it it does speak significantly to the life to the relationships that we have in knowing one another well it gives it the enneagram gives us an opportunity to love well yeah yes. well, one, one yeah. thing i wanted to address before uh, our time is up is i several years ago i went to a retreat at a place called Cheekwood it's botanical gardens here in Nashville and um we had a morning of silence and solitude and people were kind of walking around through all the beauty there. And then someone came back for the lunch period and they said, Hey, there's a, uh, an art installment in this one house on the campus. And they began to explain what they were. And then that afternoon everybody went and just sat in front of this art piece for mm. two or three hours in silence. But it was, There were 100 of them, and they were called Bang Pots, B-A-N-G Pots. And what the artist had done was he had gotten a firework and wrapped it in pottery clay and blew them up. And then when he would put them in the kiln, the Uh firework and the clay mixed and created something beautiful. And I remember and yet, coming back that afternoon. And yet, rugged,
0: right? Like, oh
1: yeah, they were totally undone. I mean, it—you could tell something had happened, but there, you couldn't be. You had to be mesmerized by the beauty of the layers of the different colors that came about that no artist would be able to do that himself. And so, and we came back and was like, you know, we we think of God disrupting our lives, but how much, how committed He is to disrupting our lives to yes. redeem us. And you you speak about this in your book. I I, I love this quote. This is on page 120. You said, At first, we don't experience grace as tender and comforting. It comes to destroy the old fortress. We don't experience love as fulfilling and desired. It comes to rip apart fear and unbelief. Once we see its unyielding demand, once we submit to its power at an all-encompassing life, we become free. Freedom we have never even considered. In a moment changes the entire playing field and fills our heart with dreams and pulsating life. I mean, just the story you told about hearing a comment from a reader, which, you know, in many ways, um, you know, you're, you're not an author until you get the your first bad Amazon <laughs> review. Like
2: then I'm a great author. <laughs>
1: but it, it does speak to the disruptive nature. I mean, there's, you know, the the model for the Christian life is death and resurrection. We mm. will face death. I mean, we, we will right. face disruptiveness. But why don't right. you talk a little bit, John, for a moment. And I'd love to hear your thoughts, too, John, as you've worked with different Enneagram types. How is it that the, the grace of God is so disruptive and it's surprising to us, yeah. but remembering yeah. its restorative power?
2: Yeah, that's no, a beautiful, beautiful question. Um there's an interesting statement in what I think is Romans 5 through 8, to me, is how then shall we live? It just is. There's nothing like it in Scripture. And right smack dab in the middle of it is this verse, uh, Romans six fourteen, that says, Sin will not be master over you, for you're no longer under law. You're under grace. What a beautiful statement. It, it talks about the power of grace. Now it, it, We make the statement... Uh, Grace is eminently safe, but it's never soft on sin. It is Mm. trying Mm. to get back past enemy lines to get to the very, very essence of what is breaking my heart, what's breaking the heart of my friends, what's making me unknowable, what's making me uh, walk with a limp. Grace will not stop until that is accomplished. It is the of the gospel, that uh, there is never a time where grace just says, you know what, uh, good enough's good enough. He's fine. Let, next, you know, it never does that happen. He just loves me so much that his grace has this power that the law, that moralism, that buck up never did. Uh, I make the statement on it that God never comes to break me. He's never tried to hit me by with a two by four. I am broken. And he hmm. comes to heal me. And the process of healing me. First, I don't want it. I want to just be as I was. Stop mm-hmm. it. This hurts. This healing hurts. And yet, isn't that interesting? God is allowing it because he healing is sacred. And it allows me to move into my destiny and the reason I was put on this planet. And so, he says, okay, this will be disruptive for a little while because you have learned to live in shadow. You have learned to bluff. You have learned to fake. And we make that statement. Uh, it's less important that anything ever gets fixed than that nothing has to be hidden. And so... How does yeah. God create in John Lynch this openness, this freedom, to be the real John Lynch at a party, at a gathering, at a meeting, in relationships, to be the authentic John Lynch? And that, oh my gosh, I, I wore more masks than an actor yeah. in a kabuki theater. I I, I I, still can. I still can. It, because... I get shocked. Sometimes I get shocked by a moment. It catches me off guard. And that's why I need you, because I can't, I can't bring myself down. And so that beautiful gift of having someone who is willing to go through grief with you, mm-hmm. and some that is caused by this world and the things that happen in this world, God is always, always comforting. But he is initially especially disruptive. Because I've I've believed, and I've gone for a long time, you, you can be a Christian for a long time, and still believe that you are the same person you were before Jesus came in. Mm-hmm. And you can live out of it. And this is what he is doing. This is the beautiful work of the Holy Spirit, is to convince me that I am no longer that person before Jesus but just because mm-hmm. I had those bents, that's not who I am now. I'm a brand new creature who is mm-hmm. deeply loved, adored, and is different, radically different. Mm.
0: I love the, like, as you were saying all those things and him pursuing us, I keep, the words that keep coming to my mind is the hound of heaven.
1: You yeah, know, that, yes.
0: that he is yes. the hound of heaven and you can run, yes. you can try to hide, <laughs> but he is coming for you with love and grace, mercy, yeah, tenderness right. to no, so restore well said, yeah. and reconcile us to him.
1: No, it's Adam, so good. how have you seen the gospel in both its disruptive but restorative power for Enneagram types?
3: Well, we can all riff for a minute. I I did. I did just have this cooking in me that I I, I think where I've seen the gospel be disruptive. I'll I'll talk about it for me as a six. Okay. I I mean, and we we can let Beth riff on each type. But um, I, I think where the, the grace has been so disruptive is, you know, the default mode of of the human heart is religion. Martin Luther said, which what he's saying is it's performance. And we're trying to perform to stay attached, so to to stay so connected, to to be loved. I have been performing my whole life to feel safe in, in in the presence of love, to just trust love, to feel like I can be loved, and I can it can, and that re, and that the reality of this love is not going to change. Like the foundation is is stable. It's not going to shift on me if I mess up, if I fail. And, and, and I've always had this anxiety around that, this sort of separation anxiety and this feeling of this is not safe. It's not safe to relax
2: yeah, yeah, with yeah.
3: this person and trust that they're going to love me and stay with me. And grace has disrupted that in a beautiful way because yes. grace, grace will not let me perform for it. So, uh, you know, that word grace is the same word for gift. So mm. how do you, how do you receive a gift? Well, you, You just like this, you know, you just open your hands. And so this is vulnerable and I don't like this at the same time I'm made for this. And so John, that's like what you've been saying this whole time, all your stories about confessing to other, when the reason we need other Enneagram types and we need other people is when you make yourself known and you're vulnerable, you position yourself for grace and you position yourself for love, but it's disruptive, but it's, 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 um, What's the word? It's deconstructing. It's deconstructing and yes, reconstructing. Yes, yes, yes. It's putting yes, off so the old good.
2: self, putting on the new self. Yeah. Adam, Adam, that is so stinking good. Gosh, that, those good. are. Well, one thing
1: beautiful. that came to mind, I, I remember, uh, and I don't know why this memory c- comes to mind for me, but um, in the movie, the first Matrix movie, when Neo yes. has come out of the Matrix and he says, My eyes hurt, or something like that, or they're tired. And Morpheus says, it's because you've never used them before. And there is something about the Christian life that that is part of the experience that I've never allowed you to love this part of me before. And I'm uncomfortable with it. I don't know what to do now. That's right. right. the I I developed all these strategies in the shadow, in the darkness. Mm
2: -hmm.
1: But now you've brought me into light and, and you're... You're bringing into existence something I didn't even know existed inside of me. Yeah. Well,
0: I think this, you know, kind of wrap it up and, and to riff on all the types to give them like something to really think about moving forward is we all have like what you were saying, John Acuff would say soundtracks, false or we other people call it foul, false messages, head trash, limiting beliefs. So we each have that, but then we have what Christ has done for us and what he says mm-hmm. over us. So I'll just kind of go through all nine types. So type ones have the false message in their mind that, and, and we think these these feel so real, and these are just one of many messages, mm-hmm. but they feel so real. Is for the type one is um, it is not okay for you to make mistakes. But what Christ has done and says over you is mm-hmm. you are good based off of my righteousness being put on you and me forgiving good. your sins. Type twos feel. Uh, their false message is, it's not okay to have my own needs. But Christ looks at you and says, you are wanted and loved just for who you are, not because of what you do for others, but because I see you and nurture and care for you. The type threes, they the false message they think is, it's not okay to have my own identity and my own feelings. But Jesus looks at you and says, I love love you for simply being you. You don't have to achieve. You don't have to have a certain image. I see all of you, and I love you. The type four, they think their false message is, I'm too much and I'm not enough. But when Christ looks at the type four, he says, I see you and I love you for exactly who you are, special and unique The type fives, they have the false message of, it's not okay for me to be too comfortable in the world the way I feel I need to be comfortable. Basically, the world is constantly saying what you need is not okay. You have to come out of your cave and be with everyone else and to uh, your energy be depleted. But what God says, and he looks at the type fives, he he says, your needs are not a problem for me. I am the spring of living water, and I will replenish everything that you need. The type sixes, their false message is, it's not okay to trust myself. And so they're constantly looking for guidance and security on this earth, whether through systems, beliefs, people. And yet Christ looks at them and says, you are safe and secure with me. Yeah. Type sevens, their false message is, um, it's not okay to depend on anyone for anything. They they think that they have to satisfy themselves only by themselves because no one else will come through. But Jesus says to them, I will care for you and I have cared for you. Everything that they long for, the joy, the abundance is through him, that spring of living water. In the eights, the message, the false message that they have is it's not okay to trust anyone else. They are so fearful of being betrayed and blindsided and manipulated that they only want to trust themselves, their gut reaction. But Christ looks at them and says, I will never betray you or forsake you. I have your back, I will protect you. And then the nines. Our false message that we believe is that my presence doesn't matter, that I'm not enough. I shouldn't assert myself. But Christ looks at us and says, your presence matters. See all that I have done to demonstrate to bring you back into presence with me. So I think that's really, you know, we have these self-sabotaging messages, each of our types. And if we understand how each type has their own false narrative that they're struggling with, how can we ask one another, Hey, Jeff, so what are, you know, I could sit down with you someday and go, what are, what is the narrative in your head? What is the shame cycle? What, what are those false messages that trip you up? And then, okay, well, I want to bring scripture to bear in your life in such a way Mm. that relieves Mm. that, that frees you, that reconciles you to Christ, not for yeah. my own benefit, but for your benefit with God, that is the power of the gospel. That is the power Absolutely. of us spurring each other on to love and good deeds in a way that honors and glorifies God, but also brings healing to our community. Uh,
2: that, well. that, that, I just have to say that right there is why I wanted to come on this show, you guys, just to, because you you impose it all over life. You impose the gospel all over everything and it's not uh the stereotype of the misstatement uh, of oh this we we got to dwell on uh the numbers by themselves y- you just put this beautiful blanket of reality mm-hmm. of the gift of the gospel and yeah. just thank you.
1: Mm-hmm. Well John thank you so much for being with us and uh, thank you Adam for joining us as well as we talk about these things that are very dear to us uh, here at your Enneagram coach and to remind you of all that your Heavenly Father is for you in the person and work of Jesus yes. Christ and available to you uh, through the work of the Holy yes. Spirit in our lives. Well John, I you know, we I've got tons more notes and thoughts from uh just mm-hmm. just from on my worst day, not including the cure and true face. There's Tons of materials. How can people find out more about your work and the stuff that you're releasing?
2: Yes. Yeah. Oh, thanks for asking that. Uh, I am, if you go to johnlynchspeaks.com, you will come to my website. And on there are 30, 40 videos, uh, five to seven minutes, that you can use on different areas uh, of your life that, that I think you can look at it and a, in a, uh, uniquely uh, a six might say that's for me that's what i need to spend some time on i also have a ton of social bites where i kind of am unpacking these truths of our identity and grace um so and, and then of course on my worst day uh, to mm-hmm. be able to get that would be a a great gift and uh the book the cure i i'm I'm, I'm so pleased with how those have turned out, even though that, that guy ripped me apart.
0: That day. <laughs> it is uh, sure. Uh. Well,
1: fantastic. Well, John, thank you so much for being with us. Uh, incredibly valuable time. Um, what I love about uh, hosting a podcast is that we get to speak to some amazing people and mm-hmm. bring some incredibly insightful and helpful wisdom uh, to all Enneagram types. so thank you listeners for listening we hope you've benefited from it and um, great we hope you'll join us for our next series coming up